So nice to hear words about revival. We sang about that, you know, in this hymn, O Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival. Start the work in me. I pray for revival every day. I would just love to see the kind of thing that my brother just described from the islands. People wanting to be saved and turning to the word of God and showing them the way of salvation. Oh Lord, send revival. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis, book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 13. Now, there's a lady this morning after the meeting asked me for some notes, and uh, I, I'm afraid I have lost track. Are you the lady? Yes, wonderful. She's gasping with great delight. I have the message here. For, I have the note here for you to to ponder. Thank you very much. So we'll turn, please, to Genesis chapter 13. This is a familiar story, and it's a very solemn story, but we're, we won't have time to read all of it, but we will read some of it. Genesis chapter, thir Genesis chapter 13. Abram went up out of Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him into the south. Abraham was ver Abram was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called in the name of the Lord. And Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, and they, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they would, could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's and cattle, and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled, them and dwelled then in the land. Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my brethren and your brethren, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself, I pray you, from me. And if you will take the left, and then I will go to the right. And if you depart to the right, I'll take to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes. Here it is. He beheld all the plain of Jordan, and that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you come unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But, but, the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious word. I want to talk about Lot this evening. Uh, you're familiar with the story, but I feel that we need to go back to some of these old stories and to reflect once again upon the significance of what happened. In Genesis chapter 13, we see Abraham and Lot. Abraham, he acted with divine restraint. He was a perfect gentleman. 
He was the older of the two and had the right of first choice. Their herds were just expanding rapidly. Things were getting in the way. The herdsmen were arguing and fighting with each other. So there had to be a parting of the ways. And Abraham, the perfect gentleman that he was, said to Lot, Look, you, you choose. You decide where you want to go. Three things marked Lot's choice. We all make choices. Listen to the choice that he made. First of all, Lot was weak in his devotions. It says in Genesis 13, he had flocks of herds and he had tents, just like Abraham. Oh yeah, they were both the same there. But Abraham had an altar. Lot did not. It's not mentioned that Lot had an altar. An altar, of course, was for sacrifice. It was at the altar that they sacrificed, all pointing forward to the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lot was weak in his devotions, I'm suggesting. Be careful, my brothers and sisters. How goes your daily devotions with the God whom you serve and the Lord Jesus Christ whom you say you believe in? How goes it? How goes the devotions from day to day? That will determine your character. That will determine the standard of Christian life that you are prepared or not prepared to live. Now you're here on Sunday night and that's a good sign. It's a good sign to see people coming out on a Sunday night because people now think it's good enough to go to church on Sunday morning but not Sunday night and not during the week. Secondly, Lot had worldly desires. In verse 10, he chose the Jordan Valley. There, I mean, it was a beautiful valley. The River Jordan was there. It was a beautiful valley, well watered, perfect for herdsmen and their cattle. But it was like Egypt. Egypt, you know, is the gift of the Nile. If you look at a map of Egypt, you will see it's mainly desert. It's by far, man, I would say, roughly speaking, it's about 80% desert. But right up through the eastern section of Egypt is the Nile River, flowing from those mountains to the south, right up into the Mediterranean. And there's a saying, you see, that Egypt is the gift of the Nile. And that's true. Egypt would not really exist as a country if it were not for the Nile. The Nile floods, and as the water floods, it, 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 it goes over all the land, of course, and then, of course, it's beautifully, beautifully cultured, very, very rich valley. He chose the Jordan Valley. It was like Egypt. So he chose the world. You see, Egypt is a type of the world. People were all sinners. They were all worshippers of idols. They didn't know the true God. What are you going down there for, Lot? What are you going down there for? Hmm. Well, I can see myself becoming increasingly prosperous if I go down there. He was also not only weak in his devotions, not only in his worldly desires, but he was wrong in his decisions. He made the wrong decision. He left his godly uncle, Abraham. He left him. And he pitched his tent among the ungodly Egyptians. Wicked and sinners before the Lord, says the Bible. They were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. 
In other words, they excelled in sin. And that's where Lot, this world we live in, excels in sin. The culture of North America in which we live, it excels in sin. So the lesson we have to learn, of course, is where are you living? Are you living in the kingdom of God or are you living in the kingdom of man? Is your heart in the kingdom of God or is your heart in the kingdom of man? We need my brothers and sisters to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this every day. That's why it's important to have devotions every day of our lives in order that we may get ourselves properly proportioned to the world we live in and the world to which we are heading, kingdom of God. There's an authoress called uh, Michelle Malkin. She wrote a book in 2009 that became a bestseller. Now, I haven't read the book. I just read about this lady. And the book was called The Culture of Corruption. In the New York Times, they said it would be a bestseller, and it turned out to be the bestseller for six weeks. Yeah. The Culture of Corruption. Now, in the book, and I'm not getting into politics. Don't misunderstand me. I don't want to get into American politics. Canada's bad enough. But the book, you see, describes the Obama administration. And she says of that administration, it's one of the most corrupt administration in recent memory. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I'm not going to make any decision. That's not my business. That's not what I've come here for. I'm just telling you that was the theme of the book. It seems that the culture, though, to me, it seems that as I look at all political parties, and I don't get into politics, I don't. That's my, that's my opinion. That's the route I go. I, I watch the news. I want to be informed of what's going on in the world. It seems to me that the culture of corruption exists in all political parties. They seem to be out for themselves. It permeates all the administrations. Today's culture. We live in a culture of corruption today. You may wish to attack the culture of corruption. That's fine. I'm just going to address the culture of compromise. The culture of compromise. Not quite the same thing, but certainly very much related. The church is sliding. The church is sliding into the culture of compromise. And it's dancing with danger. It's dancing with danger. So we see this subtle slide and this dancing with danger. We see this subtle slide and it begins, of course, we see it here in Lot. And that's why I've taken up his subject. First of all, he companioned with the world. I'm going to give you some New Testament verses before I come back to Genesis. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, we read these words. Do you not know, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Take the world, says the hymn writer, give me Jesus. Would you say that that was your motto? As you, for example, go through every day, as you get up in the morning, take the world, Lord, but give me Jesus today. 
Keep me from the world and the world's ways and the world's amusements and the world's, what the world stands for. It's an atheistic, agnostic world we live in. It's terrible. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God, says James? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you get that? Did you hear that? My brothers and sisters, you young men and you young women particularly, you live in a corrupt world, you have grown up in a corrupt world, and it's getting more corrupt. Are you going to live in the corrupt world or are you going to live for God? That's the challenge tonight. And that's what James is saying. If you want to be a friend of the world, then you, you will be an enemy of God. So stop pretending. Make your choice. You want to go into the world, then go into the world. But don't be coming here to the chapel and pretending that you're a saint on your way to heaven, and you're living in the kingdom of God. Be honest. You're dealing with a God who knows exactly what is going on in your mind and your heart and mine as well. Where do your values lie? You see, James condemns the love of material things. We live in a material world. And if you want to be bogged down with materialism, then give your time and your money and give everything you have towards the pursuit of material things. But that will indicate that you're not a believer in Christ. God wants you to love Him first and foremost. Can you say that? Could you come to me after the meeting and say, Mr. Graham, I love the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost in my life. That would be nice. You see, covetousness is a form of idolatry. That's the material world we live in. We are bombarded every second of every day with, with announcements and, and, and all of these things you see in the magazines and the papers and the radio and the television. It's, 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 a, it's a society of pursuing wealth and materialism. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with those things in themselves if they're used for the glory of God. I'm talking about keeping things in balance. I'm talking about accentuating spiritual things and denigrating material things, keeping the things, you see, not so much in balance, but certainly the spiritual things rising to the top, just like cream. Worldliness, you see, is enmity against God. Not the physical world. The physical world's beautiful, even though it's marred by sin. I love the world. I was a geography teacher. I studied geology and geography. I loved all of that. It's a beautiful place. Beautiful world that God has created. But man's system, you see, man's system on this planet, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Now remember that. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. How important that is. So uh, this subtle slide you see of Lot. You see, he companioned with the world. He chose the well-watered plains of Jordan. And then he was contaminated by the world. You choose the world and you are going to be contaminated. James 1 and 27 says this. 
pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Interesting verse. We are contaminated by the world, and God wants us to keep ourselves unstained by the world. You see, It's this world that we have to do. Now, I'm, I'm saying the obvious, brothers and sisters. I'm saying what you all know. What, what I'm doing is challenging my own heart as I've studied this and challenging your heart this evening with regards to the world we live in and the Savior whom we say is our Lord and Savior. Contaminated by the world. That was Lot. He went down into Jordan and my, did he ever get contaminated. And our, once, you're, like, once you're contaminated with the world, you will soon become conformed to the world. You conform to the world. Romans chapter 12, I love these verses. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you, says Paul, writing to Romans 2,000 years ago, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. There it is. That's the clause I want you to get the hold of. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So Lot companioned with the world, and then he was contaminated by the world, and then he became conformed to the world. How do you like that? How do you measure up with this? How do you measure up with the Word of God? You do that in your own heart right now in the presence of God. And he who is conformed to the world runs the risk of being condemned with the world. That's the risk. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord's chastening. So that, here it is, we will not be condemned along with the world. Are you drifting away from Christ? Are you drifting away from the assembly? Are you drifting away from the Word of God? Am I? Such is the slide, you see, of this subtle seduction. But we have to examine something else. We have to examine something else. And I'm only doing this, I'm only reading you a few verses without going into detail. Lot, for example, you could almost say that he was dancing with danger. And that's what happens, you know, when you get your eyes focused on the world. You begin to dance with danger. Lot looked at the world. Genesis 13, we read Genesis 13. Listen to what it says. Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zor. It was absolutely beautiful. Now, what the world has to offer is absolutely stunning. No question. And it appeals to the old sinful flesh. You see, Lot looked to the world, and if you look to the world, you will fall into the same trap as he did. 
the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham, they quarreled. We read that in Genesis 13. And Abraham showed the courtesy and the unselfishness by offering Lot his choice of the land. Take your choice. Look at the land. Take your choice. And you have a choice to make. Look into the word of God. The word of God will tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like and what the kingdom of the world is like. And what the future holds for those who belong to the kingdom of God and those who belong to the kingdom of the earth, the world. The Bible shows this. You have a choice to make. So Lot chose the rich pastures. Now you would say, humanly speaking, he did the right thing. Oh, really? And the River Jordan Valley was beautiful. Not unlike the uh, River Nile in Egypt. But however, the problem was it was very close and it was adjacent to these wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. These wicked cities in the eyes of God. He got grass for his cattle, of course. Abraham got grace for his children. That's the difference. You want to go in for the grass? You want to go in for grace? Your choice. My choice. Young people, I urge you to choose to choose grace along with your children if you have children in a family. Now, Lot knew the wickedness of Sodom, yet he plunged himself into the worldliness of Sodom. Plunged himself. He not only looked at the world, we are told in Genesis 13, 11, that he, he longed for the world. He longed for it. That's what happens when you set your eyes on a certain sin or sins. When you focus on the world and what the world has to offer. Oh, it's very enticing. You begin to long for the world. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. He chose the Jordan Valley. And in doing so, of course, he separated himself from godly Abraham. That's the problem. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Maybe you've been thinking of leaving the assembly, have you? Have you? Is there somebody here and you're thinking of leaving the assembly and going back in the world? Well, that's the old devil. That's the devil's work. The devil blinds the minds of those who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine in onto them. The vast majority of people out there are choosing the world. You and I, who claim to be believers in Christ, no thank you. Lot looked at the world, he longed for the world, and then he leaned, he began to lean toward, you see how the devil works? You look and then you lean towards the world. It says, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. He pitched his tent and he began to settle in the cities. He enjoyed wickedness, the wickedness of city life. In other words, he was quickly becoming a backslider. A backslider. We have a shocking lot of backsliders in the Christian community. And it's all because they're focused on the world. Don't fall for that trap. Don't fall for it. Maybe God has brought you here tonight to hear this simple message and to warn you. So take it seriously. Take it seriously. Genesis 14 and 12. 
He not only looked at the world, longed for the world, leaned towards the world, but Lot lived in the world. He lived in the world. Genesis 14 and 12. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living, he was living in Sodom. That's it. He took up residence in, in Sodom. He stopped the, the life of wandering with his sheep and making a living as a nomad. And now he becomes a city boy. He began a sedentary way of life. Stay in one place. Gobble up all you can of the world. And I tell you, the world has lots to offer. No question about that. Lots to offer. He lived in Sodom, and of course you know what happened. War broke out in the region. There was always wars in the Middle East. Still, we have those wars still in the Middle East. War broke out in the region, and Lot was captured. Lot was captured. So much for Lot and his choice. And you know the story, if you go in, of course, to chapter 13 and 14 and 19, you know the story that Abraham, Abraham who chose the nomadic life, take the world, give me God, give me Jehovah, give me the altar of sacrifice. We would say, give me Jesus. So Lot, on hearing about his backslidden friend, he decides to go after him, and he defeats the enemy. See what God can do? He defeated the enemy and brought the man back again with him. Abraham he pursued after Lot, and he rescued him. He rescued him. And then we come to Genesis 19. Lot looked at the world. He longed for the world. He leaned towards the world. He lived in the world, and now he's leading in the world. He's back again after his capture. And where is it? He's sitting at the seat like a member of parliament. Now he's back in the old rotten city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's part of the governmental system, whatever kind of system that was. But there he was, sitting with the leaders. He's leading the world. Genesis 19, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. The two angels come, you see, and where, where's Lot? There he is, sitting with all the top brass of the city. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, you see? Right. And he bowed himself with his face to the ground. Good for him. Good for him. At least he has a little bit of sense, you see? A little bit of... You see, Lot was prominent in this wicked city. He sat at the gate, as I've said. Ezekiel 16 says this. It describes the sin of Sodom as pride, gluttony, and idleness. Pride, gluttony, and idleness. And I would suggest that these three things uh, have certain application to some degree with regards to our own society. And then in chapter 19 of, as well, he loved the world. He loved it. Please, my brothers. Lot said, please, my brothers, don't act wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Bring them, I'll bring them to you, and you can do whatever you want with them. How, I mean, imagine. How ghastly. How ghastly of a father to say that. How far down has, has Lot gone? Only don't, don't do anything to these men, these two angels, inasmuch as they have come under my shelter, my roof for shelter. 
So here he is pleading and even, even offering the men of Sodom his own children. You see, Sodom became synonymous with homosexuality and sodomy. And what do we see in our cultures today in Canada and the USA? That's all people talk about today, in high places, that is. The men of Sodom wanted to rape the two sisters of Lot. Sodomites. But they were smitten with blindness. You see how God intervenes? Even when a child of God departs, departs and slips away and backslides, you know, God still keeps an eye on him. And God has his eye on you, and God has his eye on me. I don't know where you stand with regards to your Christian life. I don't know where you stand. It's entirely between you and God. And finally, after this long dance, as it were, Lot lost everything in the world. He lost everything. His family, his legacy, his city, his testimony, all gone. All gone. The sun had risen, Genesis chapter 19, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew in the ground. But Lot's wife, Lot's wife, she looked behind her. She looked back. She became, of course, a pillar of salt. And this was obviously an earthquake. And the brimstone, of course, where it came up from the depths of the earth, was flung into the atmosphere and came tumbling down in the cities, and the cities were buried. And so was Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. The angels insisted Lot and his family, they leave the city. His prospective sons-in-law, because he had, they were there in verses 12 to 14. They thought he was joking. So you see his backslidden life. You know, he says to his boys, look, you've got to get out of here. These angels are going, and they laughed at him. Destroy the city's nonsense. Well, they laughed and they were killed. His backslidden life, you see, had nullified his testimony. What kind of a testimony do you have at work? What kind of a testimony do you have at school? What kind of testimony do you have in the locality where you live? What kind of testimony do you have in the assembly? I'll examine myself. You examine yourself before the Lord. Angels escorted Lot and his wife, of course, and daughters out of the city. He wanted to go to nearby, a nearby, I mean, this guy was, he's just unreal. He wants to go to a, a city nearby called Zoar. Nice little city, satellite city. But these men were unrighteous, and there were not even ten righteous men in the city. Otherwise, God would have spared this judgment. Judgment came, the city was destroyed. And Luke 17, of course, reminds us, remember Lot's wife. Hey, don't forget Lot's wife. So he companioned with the world. He was contaminated by the world. He was conformed to the world, and he was condemned with the world. And dancing with danger, he looked at the world, 
He longed for the world. He leaned towards the world. He lived in the world. He led a life in the world. He loved the world, but he lost everything in the world. Lost everything. And thus the danger of dancing with danger. This world is not my home. My brothers and sisters, we sing these hymns, and I wonder, do we really mean what we're talking about? This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. Do you mean it? My brother and my sister, do you mean what you sing? When you say, take the world, but give me Jesus, do you mean what you sing? Do you mean that? Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That's exactly what Lot did. So Lot compromised. Beware of compromising, my dear brother and sister. And I speak particularly to the young men and to the young women who live in a society today that is very corrupt materialistic, atheistic, you name it. A world that lives for me, myself, and I. A world of narcissism, the love of self. And that's what you're taught in universities and school. Love yourself, first of all. God says, no, that's not the way. If you do that, you will slide into apostasy. And rather than becoming a godly believer, you may just escape by the very skin of your teeth, as we say. Just like Lot. Second Peter 2 says this. Lot was a just man. How do you like that? But he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. You ever turn the channels on your TV? You ever get vexed with the filthy conversation of ungodly people? And the devil says, watch this. And you watch it and you start to drown in all of this. And you find that your testimony is slowly ebbing away. Your testimony as a believer in Christ. Oh, I tell you, it's tough out there. It's very, very difficult in the world in which he lived. But our God is able to deliver us from this world and this worldly system. We've got to work at it. We've got to work at it. Away with compromising lifestyle. Away with compromising with the world. And you say you're a Christian. We want to hear nothing of it. So may God grant us all the perseverance that is needed. The persevering faith of Abraham. That's what we want. Abraham was a very successful, wealthy man. But he was a godly man because he kept close to God. That's right. He didn't compromise his faith the way Lot did. And that's what God wants you to do. And that's what God wants me to do. Listen to these words. 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says, God says, love not the world. Don't love it, nor the things that are in the world. Galatians talks about the world being crucified to me and I to the world. I mean, brothers, we, 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 we read these. We discuss them at Bible readings. I mean, do we mean it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
And he has saved you and he has saved me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't love the things of the world. He loved the world of people whom he came to redeem by sending his beloved son. If a man loves the world, the love of the father is not in him, says John in his first epistle. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, The foolishness, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Now, those of you who are going to school and university and doing degrees, fine and dandy, wonderful. Go ahead. But it's only foolishness in the eyes of God. I have a grandson in England. I may have mentioned him before. He's just got his PhD. He's just got his PhD. He's a brilliant fellow. 26 years of age. 27. Brilliant. He's just, got a, he's just got a job with the World Bank. First class honors degree in law. First class honors degree in economics. Got his PhD. And the World Bank hired him. And now he's bragging about all the money he's making. He's flying to Cyprus, which was in financial trouble, to try to sort them out last week. You know, he's, got, he's doing all of these things, and he's bragging about this. He's a lovely boy, but he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And then I've mentioned my, his older brother, Alan. First class honors degree in engineering. Became an engineer, then became a teacher, and then he got cancer. He's 31, two years with cancer, two years. He's not a believer. His wife's an atheist, rabid, rabid atheist. They laugh, they laugh at his grandparents. I'm his grandfather. They just laugh at us. And then the third boy, Peter, he didn't go to university. He got in the computers. He's a computer whiz. He lives in Toronto. He emigrated to Canada from England. That's a good thing to do. Peter's 24, 25. Getting married in June. He's a lovely believer. He's marrying a lovely girl from Nova Scotia. He loves the Lord. He can't get enough of the Lord's people. His two older brothers think he's crazy. Well, he has chosen the better way. He's chosen the better way. That's the way to go, brother and sister. Live for Jesus. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Trying to please him in all that I do. First Corinthians 1, this is my final verse. Don't be conformed to this world. Be not conformed to them, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what God wants you to do. Live for God. Find out what God's will is. And with all your might, live for him from day to day. That's the way to live. That's the way God planned it. That's what God wants. You'll never regret it. Never. I think I told you I turned 80 there just a few weeks ago. 80. 80. 80 years, look at me. I'm falling apart all over the place. My joints are going, my hair's going, everything's going, but I love the Lord. And he's been, he's been good to me. He's been good to me for 68 years since I put my trust in him as a boy of 12. God is good. God is good. 
and I have lived 68 years to prove it. 68 years. Showing the flag. Showing the flag at school, as I've explained before. Showing the flag in the community. And God giving me the strength to do so. I know a little bit of what I'm preaching here because I've experienced it in my own life. Away with Lot and his waywardness. Go in for living for Christ. Go in for living for Christ. Do it. Do it. May the Lord bless his word. Father, we thank you indeed for your goodness to us and your word that reveals so much beautiful truth. It reveals your will for us, what we are to do. It describes in such wonder the plan of salvation, the God of eternity, the coming of Christ into the world, the salvation that he accomplished for us at Calvary, the wonderful joy of our sins forgiven and imputed righteousness. And Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live a transformed life and to go into the world with boldness to declare the gospel of grace to other people. Oh God, save our loved ones, we pray. Save our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our neighbors and those co-workers. Help us, Lord, to, to live the Christian life and to do exactly what you would want us to do from day to day. We just commend ourselves to you and ask your blessing to this end in our Savior's precious name. Amen.